0: The Tom Woods Show, episode 1538. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty
1: education starts here. The Tom Woods Show.
0: Folks, as you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has been spreading some pretty terrible ideas, and she's wrong on just about everything. Well, I've put together the definitive smash of all of it. The Green New Deal, affordable housing, so-called, free college, high tax rates, it's in another free ebook, yes, a free ebook called AOC is Wrong, The Upside Down World of Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Grab your free copy at AOCisWrong.com. Hey, everybody, Tom Woods here. Gene Epstein is back with us today. Gene is former economics and book review editor at Barron's, formerly chief economist at the New York Stock Exchange, and right now the director of the Soho Forum which hosts debates on many contentious and interesting topics in New York City. And that's one of the great uh, things about living in the New York City area is that you get to attend these events very easily. Well, Gene himself was one of the debaters in his recent debate at the Soho Forum – with Richard Wolff, Professor Emeritus of Economics at the University of Massachusetts, and they were debating the following resolution. Socialism is preferable to capitalism as an economic system that promotes freedom, equality, and prosperity. The results turned out very much in Jean's favor. They began with 25% supporting that resolution, ending with 24.5% supporting that resolution. But being opposed to the resolution, therefore agreeing with Gene, went from approximately 49% all the way up to 71%, I believe. So it was a big, big jump for Gene. And if you're wondering why it doesn't add up to 100%, there are still some undecideds. So I wanted to talk to Gene about this debate. Now, I know he's done that. He's done the rounds a bit on the podcast circuit, and I was in Austria at the time. But I dare say you're going to enjoy this particular version. There's a lot to mine from this debate. And of course, it'll all be linked on the show notes page, TomWoods.com slash 1538. Gene, welcome back. Good to be back,
2: Tom. And uh, welcome back to you from Vienna, where you got that Lifetime Achievement Award. Congratulations.
0: Thank you, Gene, very much. And I'd like to tell people that although this episode is being released on November 20th, a Wednesday, 2019. We are recording it on the 19th, which is, in fact, Gene's 75th birthday. So best birthday wishes to you, Gene.
2: Thank you, Tom. Uh, Still alive at 75 was the theme of my party on Sunday. Tom was invited. He had a perfect excuse for not being able to make it. He was coming back from Vienna where he got his prize. Uh, But uh, you did give me a great uh, YouTube greeting, Tom, which uh, meant a lot to me. And also, by the way, thank you very much for doing a, a superb interview with the great Ron Paul. I take inspiration from the fact that he is 84 and uh, every bit as sharp as ever. So that gives me at least another nine years.
0: Well, <laughs> I'm sure you have many more. I will. In fact, what I think I'll do yeah. is after the closing music for this episode, we'll play the audio of the video clip I sent for your party okay. because I couldn't be there but I recorded a clip of myself talking about you in both a roast and a toast okay. style. I it recorded it per- in the Vienna airport. I sent it yeah, yeah. because I, I'd been conspiring with your son Jim who's oh, also been on this show yes. before. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. Indeed. And he put me in touch with somebody who knew technically how to make that work. So I sent that uh-huh. video. So I'll play that for the folks. The other thing about Ron Paul yeah. that that's episode 1535. Yeah. I got there in Texas the night before we had the big event where I did that live interview with him, and I got to be over at his house, and we had a private meeting for about a half hour. Uh-huh. And I would say, because I, you know, I stay in touch with him, but not a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And you're right; he's 84, and I was wondering, to be perfectly blunt, would I detect any even slight deterioration of his faculties? I was curious. Yeah, not a bit, okay. nothing. He is exactly the same as he was in the presidential campaigns. Every bit as sharp and witty and every – oh, I was so happy about that. The guy is immortal or invincible or something. But anyway, (laughs) I hope Gene Epstein is the same.
2: Amazing. And that's good, uh, Tom, because I rely on you in the years to come whenever you come around. Give me the assessment, the Tom Woods assessment. Are you every bit as sharp or slightly less so? because uh, I'd be grateful
0: for a uh, totally candid assessment. So I look forward to that. <laughs> All right, let's talk about your debate. Sure. I would, I, I've already set it up for the folks. Sure. Uh, you and Richard Wolf at the Soho Forum. Yeah. I'll link, of course, we're going to link on the show notes page to how you can listen to the debate, because I think you, you really should. Let me start off with a comment, Gene, yeah. if I may. Please. And that is, I have been perfectly willing to acknowledge when people I disagree with perform very well at the Soho Forum. Yeah. So, for example... Yeah. I side with Bob Murphy, but I thought George Selgin did a terrific job in his yeah. debate.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, likewise, I side with Randy Barnett, but I thought I – sorry, I can't remember the other fellow's last name. I thought something uh, starts with a D. Yeah. But, Cornell but anyway, professor. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean he, he did a good job. I can't remember his name. But, but yeah. I remember thinking, I don't agree with this guy, but he's doing an excellent job. You know, you know. So it's not that yeah, – yeah, yeah. I just want to make clear from the outset. Space, yeah. It's not that I just arbitrarily say that mm. people I disagree with are bad debaters. Not so. No. But what I want to say in this yeah. case <laughs> is I was shocked at what a weak job I thought Richard Wolf did. I thought most of his presentation was just moral outrage and sheer assertion. Yeah. No attempt to prove anything, sheer assertion, and then not even really an attempt – to indicate that he even understands your position, Gene, and in particular when he went into this long tirade about how unstable capitalism is and that every four to seven years you get a downturn. I would think a debater steeped in both sides, which I never expect the other side to be – we know what they say, but they almost never know what we say. I would have thought somebody like that would say, now, listen, I know Gene's going to get up here and tell you that the Federal Reserve is the cause of of this instability, and it's not capitalism's fault. But the reason that argument fails is there was not even – if you hadn't forced the issue, he wouldn't have even mentioned the Federal Reserve in his whole presentation. So I I was very, very underwhelmed, and I thought I would be – Blown away, like I frankly was by, as I said, these two other debaters I disagree yeah. with, not so. So what was your overall impression?
2: Yeah, well, let me let me take your remarks back to point. You know, it's interesting uh, that you discerningly point out that those two debates, uh, you could see that there was a very formidable uh, person on the other side whom you had to respect And uh, actually, I I quite agree with you about those two. Interesting that you point that out. So I guess, you know, geniuses like us think alike, Tom. Uh, Beyond that, of course, it was Interesting. I'm going to lead up to my main observation about your somewhat depressing point, which is absolutely valid. But uh, of course, Richard is somebody I did read and he had literally and of course, I did say this in my rebuttal that Richard literally thought that the downturn, uh, the Great Recession of 0809 was attributable to a collapse in consumer spending. And that, indeed, he'd said that for years, for decades, uh, consumers had to keep borrowing and borrowing up to the hilt. And finally, they were tapped out. And that's why why the Great Recession happened. And uh, I pointed out that, you know, and by the way, what's interesting about the conventional national income accounts is that often, as Bob Murphy, the great Bob Murphy has shown us, they can be cited quite fairly to make very good points on the free market side. You know, I pointed out that consumer spending was continuing to increase through the fourth quarter of 2007 increasing just before the downturn happened so how could you possibly talk about something increasing causing that kind of collapse so i did say that and indeed i had read richard i knew pretty much back to front what he was going to say with respect to your larger point it bothers me that that's the case. I'm almost sorry I didn't say at least toward the tail end of the ba- end of the debate. This is the guy who the New York Times has called the most prominent, perhaps the most prominent Marxist economist in the country, Cornell West, who many people have heard of, as called Richard Wolff, uh, our greatest socialist. Economist, a Ph.D. from Yale, an undergraduate of Harvard, just like Tom Woods, an undergraduate. I know, yeah, I know, yeah, no, sorry, you're an undergraduate of Harvard, Tom, because Columbia Ph.D. Yeah, indeed. And then, of course, as he wants you to know, he studied at Stanford under the very illustrious Marxist economist Paul Baran. So I wanted to tell people, look. Whatever you might think, negatively or positively, of what you heard from Richard Wolf's presentation this evening, his attempt to combat my various points in debater style, I think this is, it's not going to get any better than this. The, this is the best you're going to get. Now, I guess if I had said that, I, I might have had to confess that even Bhaskar Sankara, not nearly as learned, a guy much younger who debated me uh, you know, a year ago, October, uh, even he put up a better fight. So I guess I would have had to admit that. That when I debated Baskar, afterwards I did, uh, When I, after I debated, I was told, pick on somebody your own size, Epstein. The guy is is less than half your age. What does he know? And of course he, was, he, he had a big book contract with Basic Books yeah, to bring out a book that is now called The Socialist Manifesto. He brought out Jacobin Magazine. So one would think he's a brilliant live wire who could easily best me in a debate. But no, no, but I'm not picking on somebody my own size. So that's why I went after Richard Wolf, And much to my dismay and disappointment, just as you said, Tom, he came off as a preening narcissist for much of the evening.
0: So you're right. And, you know, you and I don't like to call people names. Well, that's not true. I like to call people names. You don't. But- (laughs) Awesome. <laughs> I tried, I, at least at least when i call people names i feel bad about it i can say that about my moral compass all right Speaking but yourself, in this case
2: i like to call people guide guide time
0: yeah. okay all right fair enough because when you when you said that just now about him i thought well that's not very gene epstein like but then i i thought back to the tone that both of you adopted yeah, yeah. he was i mean it's one thing to be heated in a debate but he was just belligerent and unfriendly yeah. i mean he had no warmth whatsoever he had all the warmth of a of a guy pushing a gurney in an insane asylum i mean it's no warmth whatsoever Mm -hmm. and you were very graciously trying to concede where he made a point or where you could find common ground and then at the end he says just to show how strong socialism is just note how many times gene epstein said he agreed with me i mean here you are being gracious and he uses that against you i thought what a low-life dirtbag this guy is but also you were you were charming and, and and there was none of that in this guy. I mean he just came off as a and, and maybe it's because his blood is just boiling with moral outrage. Well, so is ours. Yes. You know, but at least we can be human beings. Yes. Well, there there too, there's a few is an interesting backstory
2: on that. Number one, while uh, you and Dave Smith and others did not come down on me for the way I seemed, at least certainly did lose my temper at times when I debated Bhaskar Sankara on a similar issue, you know, socialism and freedom in that case. I did get annoyed with the young man. Dave Smith likes to joke that every once in a while when his wife says, learn some economics, Bhaskar, that's echoing me. So I think that I could have come off better that time. Although my fan, no know, so many of my fan base said, you had a right. That was just being fiery and passionate. A lot of the older people often, including my son, Jim, actually, said, you did not gain any ground by losing your temper with Baskar, even though they acknowledge that I didn't lose my temper to the point of incoherence. If you actually read what I wrote or you just listen to the content, I kept on point with Baskar. Uh, and I did indeed win the debate in that case by 10 percentage points, according to Oxford Style Voting. Uh, with Richard, I won by 20 percentage points, according to Oscar Style Voting. And I think it probably helped that, as in fact, uh, a couple of people said, you know, you were more charming. And I said, well, I I hope I didn't just win on charm. I hope I won on substance as well. But obviously, I think I played it right, although, and then a few other people who uh, I can never please said, you were too nice to the guy. (laughs) You know, I can never get it right. Too harsh with Basker, too nice uh, with Richard. But also, with respect to, agreeing with him whenever I could, and indeed maybe seven or eight times I said I agree with him over the course of the debate, and I was criticized for that. Like, tactically, why are you doing that? And notice that he's claiming credit for that. I thought, and actually still feel, what I said in my first few words, when I made the summation, I said, Richard and I do indeed agree about a lot. That's because we are both radicals. We are both radicals, and we see a lot that has to be changed. But Richard wants us to march in exactly the wrong direction. And so uh, I wanted to make a lot of that, and I think it was the right tack to take. Of course, all of it was valid. When Richard talked about the medical monopoly, the healthcare monopoly, I said, of course, it exists. And actually Nick Gillespie, who was the moderator, jumped in and said, and of course, you want more free market. You know, Nick, by the way, as moderator, had been instructed by me in advance, he'd done my um, uh, he'd moderated before when I debated Social Security Trust Fund. I told Nick, if anything, make it look as though you're biased in favor of Richard. If anything, you know, it, because sometimes it would be a little confusing, how is this gonna sound? Well, lean against me. So a couple of people complained to me that, you know, that moderator, you know, that moderator, he let Richard talk on and on whenever he was wanted to make a point. In your case, several times, he's making it difficult for you to finish what you're saying. This was in the more extemporaneous back and forth. And I said, well, you know, I, I hope the socialists in the audience, there were easily like about 150 of them in a hall of over 400. I said, I hope the socialists in the audience did have that impression that the of is, is, if anything, making it more difficult for the the capitalist side to get his points across. I thought that was fine with me. But actually, the other part of it, which is funny, is this, another part of the backstory. I get a little concerned walking into a debate that I'm going to do at the Soul Forum. I do a lot of joking and blabbing with the volunteers and with everybody going into the debate. And I get a little worried. In fact, now I'm getting a little hoarse right now. I get a little worried that I'm going to get too hoarse to do the debate. So I tell everybody, no, I'm deaf and dumb. I I can't talk. I want to just save my voice for the debate. So I actually sat before the debate began, about 45 minutes before, I sat on the stage and just, you know, pensively looked at my notes and so on. But Richard saw me, came right up to the stage and sat right next to me. And for 45 minutes, we actually had a very amicable conversation. He is, you know, we're, we're, we're both septentary Jewish guys. Uh, and coincidentally, I had studied... Uh, in, uh, Marxist imperialism at the New School under the Marxist economist Harry Magdoff, and Richard had had Harry Magdoff as a foster father. So we knew a lot of the same people, and we were getting very friendly. You know, look, in, in a way, almost I have my side. Maybe people want to watch the debate between me and Richard and then see how I got angry at Baskar. So he is actually, at his core, a nice guy, even though I guess because I started out by quoting copiously from his book, I started to, you know, to sort of knock his cage. And by the way, you talk about listening to it. Last I checked about two hours ago, the video on YouTube was up to 105 105- thousand, 105,000 viewings, and so it's snowballing up, and so I'm great, very gratified th- about that, given the fact Richard has 90,000 Twitter followers, a lot of his people are watching it, and a lot of them are responding, so at least I'm reaching them, that's very gratifying
0: Alright, let's talk about some specifics. Sure. I spotted a couple of what seemed to me to be contradictions. Okay And um, number, and, and uh, the thing is, that you you obviously spotted them too, Yes. but you cited Wolf's book from seven years ago. Seven years is not exactly a lifetime, ago, <laughs> you know? I mean, it's not yesterday, but it's not a lifetime. Tom, and,
2: God, yes, go ahead. Yes.
0: Yeah, well, so anyway, so you were taking him seriously and you were saying that you're talking about worker-owned enterprises and democratizing the workplace and this and that, and that that's your vision of socialism. And then you went on to describe all the problems with that. And yeah, of I mean, course, one problem, well, you know, we'll get to that, we'll come back to that. But then he said, oh, it's ridiculous to try to claim that there's one socialism uh, or that any of us would try to predict what it's going to look like. Mm -hmm. But he spent the entire evening predicting what it was going to look like. Namely, (laughs) there would be more worker-controlled firms. So, I mean, I I don't understand that point at all. The second thing is he claims that he does not support a top-down, state-directed socialism, and he Mm -hmm. repudiates all those sorts of things. But over the course of the evening, he nevertheless – could not help himself i mean the the real richard wolf came out i mean he he more or less did at times seem to defend those regimes such that you uh, very humorously he, he didn't pick up on the humor because he he doesn't detect subtlety let's put it that way but you very humorously said you know i apologize i mean it looks like i've kind of you know, accidentally painted uh, Richard into a corner because now he's resorting to defending these regimes. And that's not what he believes. He's not supposed to be defending those regimes. He believes in a bottom up solution. So it was so great because you were very gracious, but at the same time, condescendingly reminding him what he's supposed to believe.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yes.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, first of all, um, Tom, you you make me laugh when you say that. Uh, well, it, admittedly, it was written seven years ago. And uh, Richard, by the way, is uh, 77. So it was published when he was 70 years old, uh, seven years ago. And uh, he it could, was a
0: youthful indiscretion. <laughs> yeah, team, right. you know. Yeah. He was he was but a, a lad of 70.
2: Yeah. yeah. And, Tom, let me hold your feet to the fire. I, I want to tell you, you know, if you want to repudiate any of your previous books, then you should do so because, you know, if somebody is going to debate you on the causes of the great recession and quote from your book meltdown, I hope you're not going to say, Hey, you know, that book was 10 years ago. What do you want? I would you? have the decency of telling them
0: before the debate, don't cite that book because it's just going to waste it be a waste of time.
2: Thank you, Tom. Exactly, you would say. And uh, by the way, you know, what comes to mind, just to digress a bit, the brilliant uh, libertarian, uh, so to speak, libertarian, Harvard philosopher, Robert Nozick, did have a habit of repudiating his books, although you had to read his subsequent books very carefully to find, for example, that in one of his books, he specifically repudiated his book on libertarianism, Anarchy, and Utopia. So there is precedent for that. And it's perfectly okay to repudiate a whole book that you wrote so long as you make that clear, you know. You can gain, you know, Tom Woods can gain credit, gain points for what a flexible thinker he is, you know. I no longer believe in what I wrote in that book. So we agree about that, Tom. So you were even being a bit facetious that I said jokingly after I quoted copiously from from uh, Wolf's book and took him seriously and made sure that I got him right. And I was actually waiting for him to sort of hit back at me by saying, oh, he read that out of context or make some kind of crazy rationalizations and equivocations about what he actually said in the book. Instead of that, he gets up and says a book is like a kid. I didn't recognize anything I wrote. There are many socialisms. I'm not predicting the future, all of that. And I was uh, that was my first moment that evening by realizing for sure that this was going to be a uh, sort of a, a case in which I'm going to sort of chase him around the ring with statements he's going to make. I already had an inkling of that because, of course, he was the affirmative. So he went first. I gave him 17 and a half minutes, by the way, because I had to give myself 17 and a half minutes, somewhat longer than I usually give debaters. I, I usually give them at most 15, sometimes 12 minutes, although 15 minutes has been the norm. And that was because in crafting my remarks, and by the way, my advice to all debaters is that the main reason, this is my bragging moment, the main reason why I've had five debates at the SOA forum, taken the negative in all five cases, and won all five debates according to to Oxford style rules. The main reason is that I do my homework. I become very familiar with what this person has written and said about the topic so that I'm going to have few surprises. And that enables me to craft uh, my remarks, even though I'm going to go second. I don't have to sit there furiously taking notes to hear the initial statement for the affirmative when I'm taking the negative. I don't have to do that because I'm very familiar with what the person thinks and but sitting there listening to Richard and his 17 and a half minutes, I was somewhat astonished that it was so much throat clearing of going into some crazy history about socialism and all that and Nick, the moderator was actually concerned that uh, Richard was confusing the audience about what the resolution was all about. By the yeah, way, the, I noticed yeah. Nick kept repeating the yeah, resolution yeah,
0: yeah, as yeah. if to. I mean, you were clearly staying on point. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, you're right. We got from, from Wolf yeah. a whole lot of stuff about the New Deal coalition yeah. and the yeah. history of socialism. Yeah. It's completely irrelevant to the debate. Yes, no, indeed. No, actually,
2: you know, I, I was on. I, I was on Dave's show, Dave Smith's show, and Dave was appalled at so many of the side points that Richard was making. And I said, well, look, let, let's talk about those side points, Dave, because they have not, nothing to do with the debate. But of course, obviously, interesting questions arise. We, 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 are, we are talking about a guy, Richard Wolf, who's lived through these times, again, 77 years old. He's lived through the same times that I've lived through. And he, uh, he apparently believes that, that the New Deal Uh, was abrogated, was reversed over time in the 50s, 60s, between the departure of Roosevelt and the current time. He actually believes, I guess, that there was no LBJ Great Society. There was no enormous expansion of the welfare state. He believes there was like all the all the legend, the legendary idea that, that Reagan rolled back anything much in, in the welfare state is for Richard something that happened for 70 years. I mean, he, he's that much out of touch with just practical reality. This is one of the stories he told that. Evening, and it's. I guess it's important to mention it for those who want to listen to the debate because I didn't pick up on that point at all because it was completely irrelevant to the discussion, and I wanted to save my time and remarks for what was actually. To the point. And so uh so I didn't mention it. But again, uh I my mouth was agape that Richard actually thinks has such a persecution complex that he actually thinks the dominance of government and the dominance of the welfare state was actually reversed over the last 70 years rather than greatly enhanced. But getting to your point finally uh Tom about the fact that Richard Clearly then, once he decided to back away from his book, once he said that socialism has, can mean many things, I realized I have to be ready on all fronts to deal with whatever he's going to bring up. And his worst moment, as you may recall, Tom, his worst moment was when, uh, what was it? Oh yeah, uh, this is an odd, odd part of the evening. A question was asked about the non-aggression principle and freedom under capitalism and socialism. And Richard, sitting not far from me, uh, was shrugging and he said, "I, I don't want to answer that question. He actually muttered it. And I didn't. And Nick didn't hear him because Nick was up at the podium. So I jumped in and I said, I'm going to answer that question for Richard. And Nick said, well, what are you doing, Gene, stepping in because the question? No, I said, Nick, Richard said he wants me to answer that question. So I jumped in and I said, you know what, Richard? What what Richard is, would say in answer to your question about the non-aggression principle and freedom under capitalism and socialism? What he's going to say is that you have the freedom to starve under free market capitalism. That if you don't get a job, you're going to starve, and therefore there's no freedom under capitalism because unless you work for a capitalist, you're going to starve, and that's what Richard is going to say. Some and then I tossed up the, somehow, somehow. All the starvation tends to take place in socialist economies and socialist societies. And so I just, and then I shut up. And then Richard pounced and he said, I've heard all that stuff about all those deaths under socialism. And uh, and how about all the deaths due to capitalist wars? I don't know if you remember that point, because I, I was criticized for that by Dave. <laughs> he, said, he said, how about all the people who killed World War I, World War II because of those capitalist wars? And so I... I missed an opportunity. Dave Smith was criticizing me for that. I should have argued with him about whether those
0: wars were actually capitalist or not. Right, of course. <laughs> what a dumb way for him to think. Yeah, well, yes. Well- I mean, if they're capitalist wars, how come Gene Epstein's dead set against them? Well, I mean, isn't he, isn't he the least bit curious about that? Like, yeah. the guy is the most uncurious person in the world. He has no curiosity <laughs> beyond his little bubble. Right, well, yeah. No, no, and,
2: and, and, and I said, I decided- I picked my spot and I said, "So you might criticize me, too, Tom, for missing that opportunity. I thought we'd go down a rabbit hole about whether it was, uh, were capitalists or not. Uh, you know, right. you know. It's funny, I, as I jokingly say, I've made a virtue." I've made a virtue out of the fact that I was born to communism, that I spent my teenage years as a democratic socialist and into my 20s, that intellectual depravity that I dwelt in for so long, that I've made into a virtue. But uh, and so and, and my fellow libertarians are in awe of me that I have such a dramatic background. You know, Bob Murphy said, my God, those stories you can come up with, the FBI following his mother around. But Dave said, hey, look, Gene, that obviously means that you're. You, you have a lot of grounding in debating socialists. That gives you an advantage because you've been there and done that. And indeed, in this particular case, I, rem- I used to argue with my mother's boyfriends. Uh, who were, of course, old staunch communists, and I knew what they. I knew their whole mantra about capitalist wars, and I was anticipating. I, oh, my God, I'm going to be arguing with my one of my mother's
0: boyfriends. Again. Yeah, right. Yeah but, yeah, but but also you would be arguing over definitions. Like, I mean, the, yeah, look, sure. Uh, w- when there's a monopolistic institution yeah. waging, you know, uh, aggression on something else is not well, even capital. I mean, well, then you're just arguing definitions. I can okay. understand why you don't want okay. to jump into okay. that. Okay. okay, okay, okay. So, go ahead, go ahead, get done. But all right, but but, but, all right. But, but but let's let's go on to this.
2: The, I, oh, I mean, right, 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 Tom, let me just finish. Let me just, say, all right, all right. let me just say that I did. Just let me repeat that, Tom, if you recall. What I did say was that, Richard, I'm against those wars too. Yet another time when I'm agreeing with Richard, all those people killed and there were two million people killed in the Iraqi war. Richard, the difference is that this was mass slaughter that governments committed against their own citizens. Hopefully, Tom, you'll say, that's a good point that I made against Richard. That's yes,
0: yes. That's, okay. uh, look, I, I I think he did it. I think he did a great job against okay. the guy. Yeah. I, I thought I thought your opening statement yeah. absolutely killed him. The, the, you. Your opening statement because you stayed on point, unlike him telling stories. You yeah. stayed on point. Yeah. He sounded like a bunch of he had a bunch of slogans and yeah. a bunch of assertions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you and especially you, uh, just something simple like. How does he not know the trend in consumer spending on the yeah. eve of the recession? Well. You know, and when he's yeah. – that's going to be – because he's stuck in – you know, that's the thing. Isn't that yeah. funny? Yeah. The Austrians supposedly yeah. are just basking in their theory yeah. and they're not looking at empirical evidence. Yeah. But he was so basking in in yeah. Marxist theory, he didn't even bother to look at the trend in consumer spending. Yeah. All right. yeah, absolutely. Yes, indeed. Now, yeah. this is not in, – in talking to you, I want – it should be clear enough that we're not right now – refuting socialism we're just reviewing your debate that's a separate separate <laughs> okay. thing so I, i'm not sure. expecting you to do that. i oh, want people to go listen and to i debate. want
2: you to hold my feet to the fire absolutely i want you to hold my feet to the fire about what i might have done better uh because i can always learn so well the,
0: the one thing the one thing that i would have done sure. more of yeah. in that opening statement yeah. is i would have pounded a little harder on the fed and said yeah notice that richard failed to mention the federal reserve yeah. that's true of the entire american establishment and how interesting that it's also true of the What is it about this institution that nobody wants to talk about it except us? And then secondly, to stand here and lecture us about the alleged instability of capitalism Mm. as if I've got no response to that without even trying to anticipate my answer, without even mentioning the Federal Reserve – I don't understand, that's just malpractice that's being perpetrated on the audience, but, I, but, I, but I, fair
2: enough. I agree, with you. no, I I agree with you, Tom, I could, I could always use the excuse and say that, you know, when you're up there you've got a lot of bulls in the air, and there's and Oh, no, but look, yeah, look but, no, but, no, Gene, I'm not criticizing no, no, because okay. you
0: did, but I want you to understand no. you did plenty of things in that opening statement that I wouldn't have done, that were great, that I wouldn't have thought yeah, of, so I, I, on balance I, I wanted
2: to think that I was, yeah, on balance, I did great I appreciate that, yeah, no, indeed, yeah. I, I want to build on your point, by the way, and say that what I thought in terms of, uh, of a couple of things that I I'm just thinking. Oh, God, I would have we should have said that. You know, the truth of the matter is that Richard wants to keep whatever socialism he wants. Of course, that's obviously a moving target. He wants to keep the federal reserve. He wants to keep the monetary system. So, so we're going to have booms and busts that are at least as bad under his. I could have said that as well, and almost should have. So I missed that opportunity for sure. You were going to say, Tom. Uh, anything else you wanted to bring up? Go ahead.
0: Well, yes, because if he's going to talk about workers democratizing the workplace yeah. and comparing the workplace to a relationship between a king and subjects, well, yeah. it's just uh, astonishing to me. But yeah. you made the simple, obvious logistical point that if we're all going to make all the decisions. First of all, mm. Jeff Deist posted the other day, he said, and I can't use the word he used, but he said, no. look, <laughs> most workers would have no idea what to do, and they would make a cluster you-know-what out of it if oh, they tried. Okay. Okay. Let's just face it. <laughs> but you, you pointed out, and, and by the way, then Richard came at you and said, because you were talking about the sheer impracticality of this. Yeah. For one thing, what people would be in meetings. You were saying that if you had 60 people, just 60 people. <laughs> yeah. And, and you were arguing one point, and each person had 10 minutes or something. It would take 10 hours to make one decision. Rothbard talks about this in The Betrayal of the American Right. Yeah. He's talking about participatory democracy and how the left was trying to use it. He said the meeting became all of life. So you were pointing that out yeah, to him. Yeah. And, and, and he— just dismiss it didn't even bother to address it and then he said you know gene's arguments sound like the same sorts of arguments we've heard against political democracy the masses aren't smart enough or whatever and oh come on gene now now, first of all a the masses clearly and obviously aren't smart enough and by his own admission why'd they vote for donald trump by his own (laughs) i mean hello but secondly yeah you know what I'm not smart enough. I have a PhD from Columbia. And as you said, an undergrad from Harvard, I'm not smart enough to make decisions for a a firm when I'm just some guy who sweeps the floor. How would I know? On what basis would I make those decisions? you you or or to put, i mean of course I, I probably
2: would have used the rhetorical ploy and say maybe they're too smart maybe they're smart enough to recognize that they can't mind everybody else's business and that and that there has to be a division of labor in this regard sure absolutely and, and you you know what's interesting is that i did you know richard and Baskar actually teamed up the following week uh, to debate I found Baskar was at least conceding that you know we don't want we don't want everybody's life to consist of meetings and so we're just going to have representatives. So of course, obviously, I, I also said, of course, what's going to happen is that we're not going to have the tyranny of the majority anyway. We're not right. going to have right. No, a, you'll have.
0: Re- that's what'll wind know, up. Sure. It'll wind up becoming an oligarchy of some sure, kind. Sure.
2: Sure. Of course, because there won't be enough hours in the day. We're going to give these people a lot of power, and they're going to be ruling over us. But then again, let me insist course that I did say several times, and I did go over my old mantra, mantra by now because I used it, I, I went over it with Bhaskar, which is that uh, that we already have lots of people in business for themselves. We already have a uh, worker co-ops. We already have a lot of instances in which people want to have, want to work in places where, as, as in Whole Foods, for example, which John Mackey still continues to run in that same way, more worker participation for people who take more interest in their work. And and we could evolve potentially to more uh, worker-run firms. It's perfectly compatible under capitalism, and it's perfectly possible if people want it, if it does indeed speak to deep needs and desires. So that limited form of worker ownership participation, that's almost an old story. I don't want to work for any bosses. I want to be in business for myself. And and I want to work with a group of People and so on. All of that is very possible under capitalism. And if that's all Richard really wants, he doesn't want this the, the, these kings of the workplace and to have bosses and all the rest of it. Then we can have it. We can all have it if that's what we truly want. But some of us would prefer, as I did during my working life, to allow the people at Barons and the people at News Corp, which owned me most of the time, to take on the headaches of running the play, and making all the decisions beyond me about running the place and letting me do my thing and earn, and earn a decent salary in the process. And so that's another choice that we make. And obviously, these people aren't our kings so long as we decide and so long as the economy provides us with alternative means of employment, which in the vast majority of cases, it does. And so, of course, that's the other key card that I wanted to play and wanted to make clear because I thought I was mainly trying to address uh, the socialist in the audience to try to speak to their feelings. I was also criticized that I didn't praise capitalism enough and that I said, you know, even our flawed system of capitalism that, that's heavily rigged in favor of the powerful is preferable by far to what Richard wants to bring about. You know, it's preferable by far. We have a flawed system, but still it's something we support. And indeed, we need more capitalism and not less. We do need radical change, but radical change in the capitalist direction. So I was trying to convey to the young people in the audience, I'm as outraged as Richard is about so much that goes on our our society so many things that actually do shaft uh people of limited means
0: well there's there's a lot more we can talk yeah, sure. about your points about exercising freedom of speech yeah, yeah. when you know the resources are going to be democratically directed which of course means that yeah. if you happen to belong to a despised minority mm-hmm. good luck getting your point of view out because you won't be able to get access to the resources yes he never he Never address that other than to, in passing, suggest that worrying about the government is just so old-fashioned. We're not talking about the yeah. government. We're talking about
1: yeah.
0: – okay. Well, then, all right. If you don't like the word government, we'll call it a banana, yeah. all right? <laughs> if that – if whatever. It's something. Yeah. Something yeah. Yeah. is in charge of deciding what the majority allegedly wants, and whatever that yeah. something is, whether it's the government or a banana or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever that thing is, is very likely – to be biased in the direction of what the majority wants. If we, th- that's why you know I understand the problems with the Constitution and all that. But in principle, that's why there's a First Amendment to the Constitution, so that that won't be up for a vote.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. You know that that will not be up for a vote, and that's what makes private property great. Is that once you own that property, nobody votes on it. Yeah. It's yours. It doesn't matter if 99% of the public hates you. Mm-hmm. It's still your property, and you can use it to convey your ideas. Well, so- you used
2: exactly. I mean, you stirring me, Tom, uh, my, my memory of that key moment in which I began to cross over from being that oxymoron. Ox, an oxymoron, oxymoron is, a, is a married bachelor, a contradiction in terms. Uh, I was a libertarian socialist, just as Noam Chomsky called himself, a libertarian socialist. And then uh, reading Rothbard, it was really when Rothbard put a fine point on the issue by saying that anybody in charge of scarce resources with respect to the exercise of freedom of speech or the building of new mosques or any any expression of dissident opinion, anybody in charge is going to have to to ration the resource. It's Those tough decisions are gonna to have to be made, even on the part of somebody who's like on the nice side, who isn't a power hungry, completely narrow-minded lunatic. Uh, or if the majority is voting on it, which of course is a fantasy, since the, nobody's gonna keep up with those decisions, that even the majority has got to be told, hey, we can't vote in all of these things because there just ain't enough resources for these things. We live in a world of scarcity. And so that fine point on it, oddly, was the thing the way the light bulb went off in my head completely. Because I I think maybe in my dull brain prior to that, you know, we libertarian socialists used to think, well, you know, just you know, we'll just make sure that anybody who wants to publish a book, anybody who wants to build a a a, a chapel uh, to the pagan gods, anybody who wants to express themselves will be able to, but obviously only in the last of of cocaine, I think the way Mises put it, uh, clearly we will have to ration resources. And I, I stressed that point in my presentation. And then when I talked about the stifling of innovation, under with all of these committees in charge of funding and in charge of labor, that they would not only have the excuse that we've got we have we we've, we've got limited resources, so we can't fund Steve Jobs' crazy idea for a smartphone that threatens so many industries. Uh, well, with their problems. We can't do that. And, and besides, that's another great excuse they would legitimately uh, have. Uh, most of, most new ideas never work out anyway, which is actually, of course, true. Most new ideas don't work out. And so, so they would have cardinal excuses that we could all take seriously for choking off freedom of speech and for choking off innovation.
0: Well, we're gonna call it quits right sure, there, and I'm gonna sure. urge people to check out thesohoforum.org yeah. for future debates. For future and debates,
2: also- and let me let me just hasten to say uh, that that, in keeping with my age, I I happily have Walter Block, the e. Walter Block, seventy eight years old, three years older than I, finally defending his eviction theory having to do with abortion. A matinee on Sunday, December eighth at three o'clock. Our very first matinee, December eighth. He's going to be debating a young woman named Kerry. About Baldwin, who is, who claims to be a Rothbardian in many ways, but who's going to take him on. So that's December 8th at the Soho Forum. Please come.
0: Okay. So we'll link to the Soho Forum and to this particular debate that you and I have been talking about today at tomwoods.com slash 1538. All right. Mm -hmm. Happy birthday again, Gene. Thanks for your time.
2: And I look forward to your roast, Tom, which you're going to play. Bye-bye, Tom.
0: All right, folks, tomorrow we've got a debate analysis episode with Lou Rockwell because tonight, that is Wednesday, November 20th, 2019, there's another Democratic Party presidential debate, and Lou Rockwell and I are going to be commenting on it tomorrow. So you will not want to miss that. Make sure you have subscribed. Just head over to TomWoods.com Apple, and you can easily subscribe to The Tom Wood Show. Cost you nothing, of course. Thanks for listening. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time.
1: Well, Gene, it's your 75th birthday, and that is an amazing milestone. I'm sorry I couldn't be there with you. I am in the Vienna airport right now, heading to Munich and then back to the United States. So I just could not make this happen. But I did want to send you because I appreciate you very much. Uh, There aren't many guests I have on the Tom Woods Show of whom I can ask a question, go downstairs, make a sandwich, eat that sandwich, squeeze my own orange juice, drink the juice, mow the lawn, come back inside, put my headphones back on, and hear the guests saying, Now, Tom, to answer your question, I also appreciate all the emails I receive about maybe things in the show that I could have done better or little mistakes I made. Dear Tom, I want you to remember... There's an umlaut over the you in such-and-such such person's name. Nobody other than Gene Epstein is going to let me know these things. But all the same, Gene, in all seriousness, I appreciate you very much. You're a very, very good man. You're loyal to your friends. Uh, you're a devoted servant of the cause, uh, really fantastic and entertaining debater, extremely knowledgeable. You're the person I go to when I'm completely stumped. And uh, may you have 75 more, Gene.